0: Hey, it's so good to be together. So this fall, the squirrels aren't the only thing out looking for acorns. Evan Hayes is out competing with the squirrels, (laughs) and he gave one to me, and he has one for you. So the reason Evan was out looking for acorns is because we are going to do something very special as a church. We're going to have 21 intentional days of seeking God. And Evan thought this would be a great reminder for us. Last week, he talked about um, these little cards that in your in your little bulletins there. There's a little card, and in the back there, there's a blank because you guys get to decide what that's going to look like for you guys. We're going to spend 21 days starting October uh, 15th, and that could be committing to intentional times of prayer. Could be intentional. Bible study time, intentional time with your family. It could be fasting from certain things, food or media or other things. It can, it can look lots of different ways. We're going to trust the Holy Spirit will work in your life to lead you to what that can look like. But as a church, we're um, just, we want to be serious about seeking God together. And so in the back there, there's a little bowl full of acorns. And if you would like one, you can have one. All right, so we are going to conclude our series on loving God and loving others. Now, I, I was thinking about this before coming here, and love is at the very center, at the core of who God is and what we're called to be and to do in this life. Love love captures everything, I think, who God is and who he's created us to be, but It's not possible for us to love God or love others on our own without having been first loved. We can't produce that kind of love, God's kind of love on our own, because the Bible defines love differently than the world does. You know, the world kind of defines it as a feeling or emotion or being nice or doing these things. But but the love that the Bible talks about is a a radical, self-sacrificing love that's rooted in a in an unconditional commitment and that kind of love we can't just produce on our own that's the kind of love that only god has and we can only experience that kind of love if we receive it, uh, it it's kind of like kids who grow up in a home and if they're not loved if they're abandoned or abused it's very hard for them to know how to love right cuz we by nature, need to receive it in order to give it. And that's on a human level. And the same is true when we're talking about what the Bible is talking about, love. We, we can't just produce this. This has to be received. And that's why the Bible says we were loved first. God loved us first, and then we can love. That's, that's so crucial to understand because everything we're going to talk about tonight, you could leave this place really frustrated saying, or just saying, man, I got a lot more I got to do. And that is not what we want you to hear. What we want you to hear is that Jesus has opened a way, a new way of love for all of us. And he accomplished it on the cross. And so everything we're going to talk about tonight can only happen in our lives if we understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. If we understand that Jesus died on that Roman cross, his blood was shed because of love. Because he loved you, and he loved me, and he loved every single person who's ever been born. And he was willing to lay his life down in order to make a way, a new way, for us to really live. That is the basis for everything we're going to talk about tonight. And we're going to conclude tonight by taking communion because the church, the people of God, are marked by that act of love that God did and sending his own son to be a sacrifice for us, to make a way for us to experience the love of God so that we too can live in a life of love like God does. Let's pray and then we'll dive into our passage tonight. Lord, uh, we're coming here together and uh, we've left maybe a, a full day or maybe a lonely day or maybe an anxious day. Maybe there were things that happen that we didn't expect, maybe there's things coming up this week that are, are on our minds, and we just, we lay all that aside right now, Lord, we just lay it all before you, God, and we come to be with you, Lord, we come to hear from your word tonight, and so God, I pray that you would allow us to hear, to understand, to see your ways, who you are, and your beauty, and your glory, and your goodness, and that God, we would all be changed by you. We love you. We thank you for being with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Evan has been leading us through this series. We began by looking at this idea of loving God and others, and, and, and Evan put it into two categories, individually and collectively. And I, I love that because there is an individual personal relationship each of us has with God. But the Bible always paints this picture of relationship with God, not only individually, but also corporately with others. Um, the, the, much of the Bible is the story of Israel, which is a, a story of a nation, of a people that God called out to be his own special people. And in the New Testament, we are called a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a new people that God is calling to himself. And so Everything that we are talking about tonight has a personal application, but it also has a corporate application. In this series, we've looked both at corporate practices and individual practices, such as prayer, Bible, study, reading, uh, meditation, giving of our resources, serving with our time, all these things we've talked about, both on a personal level and as a church. Today... Tonight we're really going to focus on as a church. What are the ways that we love God and we love others as a church? What does that look like? What does that mean? Um, Another way of saying this is habits or disciplines that we do together. Um, I've had the privilege of traveling to lots of countries. I grew up in South America and I've I've been with lots of Christians in lots of different places, all the way from the Amazon jungle to, to China to big cities to little tiny villages. All over the world, I've been with Christians. And, and one thing is very clear to me. No church looks exactly the same. <laughs> Every place I've been in, people worship in unique ways, different ways, different kinds of songs, um, different kinds of prayers, different kinds of expression. Uh, I remember in in Africa, no one was sitting. Everyone was dancing the whole time. (laughs) And then in Minnesota, we all sit, right? Where I came from, everyone sat, no one danced. (laughs) So there's a wide variety of what it looks like when we gather together as the people of God. But there are some things that are always the same wherever I go. And that's what we're going to focus on, what things are the same, because there's, God's given us you, um, core things that we're to do as the people of God, but then there's lots of freedom uh, to express it in different cultures, different ways, different manners of, of being human uh, here on this earth. And so um, we've got to be really careful because sometimes in churches we get really— um, we get really passionate or hold tightly to things that aren't important, and that's dangerous. <laughs> that causes a lot of hurt and harm. And so if we're really going to hold on to something, we've got to hold on to something that matters, right? So the things we're going to talk about tonight, the things we do together, are things that really matter. And it can look a lot of different ways. It can express itself in a lot of ways, but these are the core things that, that we do together uh, to love God um, corporately um we're going to be in acts chapter 2 starting in verse 41 the good news is god has revealed to us he's shown us what it can look like for the church uh to do these things together so starting in verse 41 we're going to read through verse 41 to 47 and the let me just say the context here is is jesus has ascended so he died on the cross, he resurrected, he's ascended, and he told his followers, don't leave Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is going to come. So this is the presence of God, the power of God, and the Holy Spirit filling his people. And and so there were flames of fire, there was a great wind, everyone's talking in all these different languages, and so people from all over the world are hearing about the good news of Jesus and what he's done for them and then Peter stands up and he preaches this amazing gospel message that that Jesus is the Savior that he is the Lord he is the Messiah and that he came to forgive us of our sins and so he preaches this this amazing message and then it says many people accepted him so we're gonna start in verse 41 Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Remember, there was only 120 Christians, and now there's 3,000. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles and the believers were together and had everything in common They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need every day They continued to meet together in the temple courts They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts Praising God enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved So here we have the first church receiving the Holy Spirit, and we're given the core disciplines or habits that they did together, and all churches from this moment until Jesus comes back will be marked by these things, and it's produced by the Holy Spirit that's in us, in his people, and so we're going to talk through these things. There's seven things here that we're going to highlight, seven things in these verses that we're to be about. Now the first thing I want to notice is verse 42, they devoted themselves. Devoted. I think that's important. I don't want to miss that because devotion is is more than just doing something. It's doing something passionately with love. And that's important because God isn't impressed by our outward appearance or our outward actions. What's what's God really concerned about? What does he really care about? Our hearts, right? He cares about our hearts. The the world's really concerned with the outward appearance, but God says that that's not as important to him as our hearts. And so because God is a God of love, what he really wants is our love. That is what we were created for. We were created to be in a loving relationship with him. And so this idea of devotion is important. And, And there's a couple illustrations we're given in scripture. The Apostle Paul uses them. One is an Olympic athlete, because remember, this was written in ancient Greece, and the Olympic Games were going on, so people were aware of that. And the other illustration he gives is a soldier. Now, I like watching the Olympics, maybe some of you guys do, and I'm always amazed what people can do. (laughs) And I'm always struck that these people aren't just born naturally able to do what they do, right? Um, that would be nice if I could just get off my couch and do three backflips off of a high diving board into the water. That would be really nice. But the reality is these bodies just don't do that. that there's years of devotion. There's years of training and, and uh, practice that are put in before that moment. But every time an uh, Olympic athlete does this and they win... What do you see on their faces? Sheer joy, <laughs> elation, right? I, I, I love those images where the, you know, they're on the pedestal or they've won uh, their, their race, and the image is one of just sheer joy. Now, they didn't get there overnight. There was discipline. There was habits developed. There was things they sacrificed to get to that point. Paul tells us that we're to run this Christian life like an athlete who wants to win. <laughs> so we run like as if there's a prize, a medal at the end. And so what that's telling us is, is the salvation that we have in Christ is nothing that we've earned in any way. We, we can't save ourselves. We can't work hard enough. We can't devote ourselves enough to earn our salvation. That is purely by the grace of God. So hear that, <laughs> hear that. It is the grace of God that saves us. It is not our own effort. It is not our own choice. But the Christian life is not free from effort. So grace is not earning, but it's not the absence of effort. And so God makes a way for us to come into his family, to be in as his child, sons, daughters. That's our new identity. There's there, That was a gift freely given to us. But now that we're sons and daughters, we're called to run this race of the Christian life with God. So we're not trying to get to God. We're with God because he's come near to us. That's what Jesus preached. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. God is near. He's He's right with us. And he wants a love relationship with us. He's made it possible in Jesus. So we're to devote ourselves. And like a soldier who is willing to go into the battlefield and even willing to lay his or her life down so there's commitment there's dedication there's sacrifice there's a cost but there's great joy and there's great honor and there's great blessing and so when it talks about the life of devotion here it's talking about a life of love of commitment uh, of sacrifice but it's all based in what god has done for us and so Here's the seven things. Number one, in verse 41, we're told that when they accepted the message, they were baptized. Now, I don't want to miss that. That's important. Baptism is something that we do corporately together to show our love to God and to each other. Baptism is the, is the public proclamation of who God is And what he's done for us in Jesus. And so when we get baptized, we're basically saying, my old life is dead. Because when we go under the water, we are dying. We're saying, we're dead. You can't breathe under the water. But when you come back out, you breathe the new air. And it's a symbol, it's a sign of what God has done for us. Baptism is a sign, a public Physical sign of what the reality of what God has done for us, and that Jesus died on the cross. And, and, and in one sense, we died with him. Our old life that was marked by sin, by selfishness, greed, pride, um, lust, all those negative, ugly things that destroy, died with Jesus on the cross. And then when Jesus rose again from the dead, he's giving us new life, and we too live. Jesus said, I live and you too can live. Because I live, you too can live. And that is our hope. It's resurrection hope. Everything in this life is dying, right? We see it all around us and one day we too will die. But the hope that we have is that that is not the end. It's just the beginning with Jesus. That there is resurrection life and that God is the God of creation. Not only the original creation, but he's creating a new creation. And he's starting with us. That's what Romans chapter 8 tells us, that all of creation groans longing for its redemption. But then God starts with us, his sons, his daughters, and he's redeeming us. He's making us new into a new world. And he's going to redeem all things. So all the plants and the animals and the water and the mountains, everything will be made new. And so instead of decay and destruction and despair and pain that our world knows, God is making a new world where it will be, Filled with love and joy and peace and all that is good. That is what God is doing. He's starting with us. And so baptism is that proclamation of what God is doing. We are dying, dying with Christ, and we are coming to life. And then in that process, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in Ephesians, Paul Paul tells us there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And so that baptism is a sign also of the presence of God with us, that the Holy Spirit is filling us uh, with God's presence and that God is the treasure in our midst and we are in his presence. We are with him. He is with us. There's no separation. We're right with God. And so the Holy Spirit is, in a sense, that seal, that engagement ring of what God is going to do in making all things new. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is that guarantee that God's going to make it happen, <laughs> that what he's promised, he will complete. He will redeem us. He will save us. He will make all things new, including our bodies, including everything that we see around us. And so baptism is that first thing that we do. In, Roman, in Acts 1.8, it says, you will be my witnesses, Jesus filled his people with his Holy Spirit. He told his disciples, you will be my witnesses. And so when we get baptized publicly, we are sharing our faith with the world. And, and baptism is that one thing, that one time event that we do in our lives, but from then on, we proclaim who we are. We have a new identity. We're no longer marked by our sin. We're no longer marked by the things the world finds its identity in. We've been given a brand new identity as sons and daughters of God, as as new redeemed creation in Christ. And so we share that news of Jesus and what he's done in our lives with the world. Number two, we see they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so the church, we share together the baptism. We also share together the word of God, the word of God. And so as God inspired the apostles They began to write down the things that God was showing them through the life of Jesus. But as well, here in Acts, we see through the Holy Spirit. And what's been compiled is the Word of God. And this is the the written document that points us to the living Word of Jesus. Jesus is the living Word. But this Word is alive and active because of the Holy Spirit. And so as we read and as we are taught the words from God... Life is being born into our hearts and our lives and we're learning what it is to be who we are as children of God. We learn. And so something that we do every time we gather as believers is what? We read the word. (laughs) We share the word. We teach the word. We instruct with the word. I I love what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that every servant of God, that's you, every servant of God may be f- truly equipped for every good work. And so how are we to live good lives of blessing that God has for us? It starts with the word. We have to understand who God is and what he's called us to be and to do in this world. And so all scripture, God breathed and is useful. So we, we devote ourselves to this. We devote ourselves to this as a church. The third thing is to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Later tonight, we're going to do this together. And Jesus told his disciples before he left, he says, whenever you get together, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so what Jesus did is he took bread, just a a common element. And I love it because every culture in the world has some kind of bread. In in Mexico it's tortillas, <laughs> and in Africa it looks very different. It, it, it's different everywhere in the world, but every culture has bread. And Jesus said, "When you eat it, remember, remember that my body was broken for you." And then he took the cup, the grape juice, and he took it and he and he drank. And he says, "Drink this and remember that my blood was shed for you." And so, the the table, the Lord's supper becomes the center of our worship. And why? Because if the cross is the defining moment in all of history where God came into our world filled with suffering and sin and pain and heartache and God took upon himself all of that, all the violence, all the the hatred and the animosity of the world, he took it upon himself, and that cross became the symbol of God's love, that he was willing to come into our mess, our reality of brokenness and of death. God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all things, who never sinned, took upon himself the sins of a whole world. And so this becomes the defining moment of all of human history, all history past present and future finds its culmination in this one moment because the human experience is what one of of incredible pain tragedy right we, we all have incredible tragedy in our personal lives you read just a short brief little glimpse of human history and it's marked by what war famine disease destruction right and so this moment god comes into our world and what does he do he suffers, he's mocked, he's beaten, he's crucified, the most cruel punishment possible invented by men. And he does it all for a purpose, to show us that God was willing to come and to take upon himself our pain, our suffering, our, our wickedness. He took it upon himself. All of our sin, was upon him. And so this becomes the defining moment of all of human history and it's the defining moment for each one of us because all of us must come against the cross. We must come against the cross at some point. And either, Paul says, either we will think it foolish or we will see that it is the deepest, most beautiful wisdom of God. Every human being will come against the cross and some will stumble but some will find life. (laughs) Because that blood that was shed was innocent blood. And it was the blood of the covenant, of God's covenant. His promise, not based on what we would do. It's an unconditional covenant based on God's character. Saying, I will forgive. I will love you. Regardless of what you've done. Even if you're my enemy. Even if you're that thief right next to me. You can come in and be made right. You can be atoned. Your sins can be covered over. Because God makes a way. Jesus was sufficient. His payment was sufficient for every human that's ever lived. Every boy, every girl ever born has the opportunity to find life in the cross. And so the cross becomes the defining moment. And the resurrection accomplishes what God had promised. That he would use that cross to bring new life. That it it wasn't the end. (laughs) Death is not the end despair and pain is not the end. No, God is a God of new creation. He's a redeeming God. He takes what's broken, what's lost, what's, what's despicable and shameful and guilty, he takes it and he makes it alive and beautiful. And I love that phrase in the Bible that says, from ashes to beauty. And that's what the cross and the resurrection does. And so the Lord's Supper is, is a reminder of who we are and why We exist because God has made a way. And so this tangible reminder of eating and drinking reminds us that it's not just a spiritual salvation. It is a spiritual salvation, but not only, it's also a physical salvation. Because Jesus physically died and he physically rose again. That meant the disciples could touch him. They watched him eat. And that means that our salvation is also physical, Do you, do you hear that? It's it's not just a spiritual reality, it's a physical reality. As as human beings, we we have a soul and a spirit, but we also have bodies. And God cares about our bodies. <laughs> he cares about our souls, but he also cares about our bodies. And so the every time we eat and we drink together, we're remembering that our salvation is found in Jesus at the cross and the resurrection. And it's a spiritual and a physical salvation that we have. This is our hope. The fourth thing that we see that the church devotes itself to is to prayer, right? To breaking of bread and to prayer. So why is prayer so important? Why do we devote ourselves to it? If, if we could live on our own without God, we wouldn't need prayer. <laughs> but the reality is we weren't made to live without God. We were made to live with God, in relationship with God. Without God, there's no power, there's no life. And so prayer becomes the means of communication, It becomes the means of us sharing our hearts, but also hearing God's heart. And so prayer is is a two-way communication and relationship with God. As I shared with you guys um, a few weeks ago, Jesus, when he taught about prayer, he said, when we approach God, we say, Father. And that's so important, that when we come to prayer, we're coming to our heavenly father who loves us. Who, that's demonstrated to us in the story. Jesus said of a, a father who waited for that prodigal son to come home. And, and he didn't just wait. He ran to that son and embraced him and threw his arms around him and threw a party for him. <laughs> that's the kind of God we, we pray to. And so it's, it's someone we want to be with who, who loves us, who has our best interest in mind. And so prayer is that invitation into his presence. Um, over the 21 days, starting October 15th, Evan's going to open uh, this building at 6.30 every, Monday, every morning, Monday through Friday. And this is an opportunity for us corporately to do this, to devote ourselves to prayer, uh, to take, take an hour, half an hour, come before work, and just, just pray, seek God with, with your brothers and sisters. But it doesn't have to be just together, even though that's really important. It can be in your room out in the hiking in the hills. I like what Andrew Murray says, prayer is the quiet, persistent living of our life of desire and faith in the presence of God. But the church, we are to devote ourselves to prayer. The fifth thing is we're to devote ourselves to generous giving, generous giving. Here we have an image of the church uh, meeting the needs of others in their midst. Um, the, the idea here isn't that we necessarily give up everything but the idea here is that God is 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 looking to produce in us generosity generosity I love that in the New Testament with Jesus there's no law that says we have to give rather there's an invitation that we get to give and and we give because our faith and our trust is not in ourselves it's in God That God is big enough and sufficient enough to provide for all of our needs. That he will take care of us. That he's good. He knows our needs. He knows what we need. And he's going to provide for us. And so by giving, we are saying no to the God of money. And we're saying yes to the God who provides for all of our needs. Because money has its limits. It runs out. (laughs) It can be lost. But God cannot be lost. He doesn't run out. He's... He's everlasting. He's got everything and more, more than we can ever imagine. And so giving, generosity becomes the mark of the people of God. The church of God devotes itself to giving. And it's not an obligation. It's a joy. It says God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, it, it's, it's like Christmas for you parents. You, you don't give to your kids because you have to, because you want to. And there's so much joy in, in, see, in giving them those gifts and seeing their response to the gift. And that's, that's what we're to be marked by, by generosity. Evan talked last week about personal giving, like seeing needs of people. But there's also a giving corporately as a church. In, in Acts, the, the church would bring money and things to the apostles to use not only for helping with needs in the body, but also for the proclamation of the gospel, to take the word of God and share it. And so here at, at Rimrock, we have people here downtown we have Evan and Carrie Schmidt who devote themselves their time and so that generosity enables them to serve we have this place to meet and to worship in but but that's just the beginning it's not just our needs here at the church but how does God want to use us to to bless our community to give generously to those around us and so we give as the early believers did we devote ourselves to it. And then the last one is our worship, praising God. Verse 47 says, they praised God, enjoyed the favor of all the people. I love that wherever I go and I'm with the people of God, there's always praise. And it and it looks different in a lot of different cultures. In the Amazon, they don't have instruments. They, they chant. And in some places, uh, they have really loud music. In other places, it's very quiet. But the key here is we're to be marked as the people who have our gaze and our energy and our focus on God. <laughs> and so we praise him. We, we, we praise him and worship him because he's worthy. He's worth more than anything else to us. And because of that, it comes out in song. It comes out in, in raising our hands and dancing and kneeling. It comes out in, in sitting quietly and meditating. It comes out in so many different beautiful ways. But it has to come out. <laughs> if, if this is real, if, if we've really encountered God, we can't help but praise Him. We can't help but speak of his wonder, of his beauty, of his goodness, of his glory. It comes out. And, and that's the mark of the people of God, the church of God, is, is we're a praising people. <laughs> we're, we're a worshiping people. We're a thanksgiving people because of who God is, and he's the greatest treasure. And we've, we found him. <laughs> we found that nothing else compares to him. We found that, that everything else is fading and is small and unlasting compared to Him, that He is the greatest treasure, and so we praise Him. As uh, the musicians come up, um, we're going to get ready to take the Lord's Supper together. And I just want to invite you to, to praise God tonight. I, I know a lot of times when we come to the table, it can be a time of confession, and maybe there's something that you need to confess tonight. But overall, I, just, I want us to praise with joy because we are loved. And Jesus made a way for us as a people to, to devote ourselves to things that we talked about tonight. And so I'm just going to read here. And then when you're ready, I want you to come up and there's a, there's a bread and you can just dip it in a cup with grape juice and then you can take it when you're ready and go back to your seat. But this is what Jesus said. When the hour came Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Think about it. Jesus is eagerly desiring to do this with you tonight. Think about that. He's here. He loves you. Before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. But here's what I want you to think about. Jesus desires it, but one day, physically, we will eat with him again. One day we will be sitting at a big table, (laughs) a really big table, with every person from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and we'll all be together, and it will be a wonderful, beautiful party that we'll all be there together. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and he gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you.